Hello and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. I'm Jonathan Gellner and thank you so much for joining us. We're in day two of our Slugfest preview and today we're joined by Dylan Lawson, minor league hitting coach for the Houston Astros. Prior to the Astros, Lawson served as the hitting coach for Missouri for the 2017 season after spending the summer of 2016 as the hitting coach for the Houston Astros Class A affiliate Tri-City Valley Cats of the New York Penn League. Lawson was also a key contributor to the Southeast Missouri success from 2013 to 2015 as he mentored an offense that ranked among the league's best over his three seasons. On the show, we spend a bulk of our conversation discussing decision training, but we also get into what he looks for in the swing and what his ideal BP looks like. Ladies and gentlemen, you're going to love this conversation with Dylan Lawson. Dylan Lawson, thank you so much for joining us on Ahead of the Curve today. It's amazing to be on the phone with you right now. I'm really excited to do this podcast with you. Well, of course, and I've been an admirer from you from afar. And whenever you're at Missouri and you're giving your ABCA talks, and then, uh, you know, obviously with the Astros, you're doing a fantastic job. So it truly is a pleasure to have you on today. And we're previewing uh, Slugfest, which you will be presenting on in November. And so I was curious if, you know, if you don't mind, can you give us a preview of what your presentation will be on during that week? I can definitely give you a preview. I, I uh, probably can't get too deep into it just because I haven't put it together yet. But I'm going to talk about pitch recognition, plate, plate discipline, um, how we can develop it, exactly how, like what direction I'm going to take it. I'm not entirely sure of be- just because there's a lot of things interesting, you know, th- whether I'm learning it now or expanding on it from years ago. There's a lot of different things, uh, it, interesting avenues that I think I could take it and, and people would enjoy. But ultimately, what I would like for people to take away from it is that there's more to, and we've talked about it a lot, and whether in, I use we as in you know people on Twitter or coaches in general, we've talked about it a lot recently where just the traditional batting practice, the traditional ways that baseball has been trained, it's not good enough. It's tough it's already really hard to be a hitter with as quickly as pitchers are developing as far ahead as they've gotten with technology. You know, the, the main technology that they were using or are using, it came 15 years earlier than, you know, the first bat sensor or whatever it is. And so they got a head start. There's people that have figured out how to use it really well. And people are throwing harder with better stuff and, you know, more strikes and hitting was hard to begin with. It's getting harder. It's, it, it's not letting up. And so uh, the traditional way of practicing uh, from a hitting standpoint, it's just it's not going to work anymore. And so for me, I like talking about that, the way that we can practice, the way that we can elevate hitters based on the training environment that we can create. And for me, it, it wasn't a niche that I set out to get into. Uh, I mean, as a, as a hitting coach, when I first started out as a graduate assistant, I said vision was my number one priority. But then five years into my coaching career, I, I still wasn't actually coaching anything revo- uh, involving vision. It was mm-hmm. just, hey, stop chasing the fastball up or swinging at the breaking ball in the dirt, see it out of the hand. It's like a pitching coach telling the pitcher to throw strikes. Sure. It's just <laughs> not helpful, right? And so 
I just, I, I, I had to find a way to do things better and started doing a lot of research and, you know, uh, some of the talks and podcasts that I've done beforehand, you know, they, they, they chronicle the, you know, that, that part of my career and, and Dr. Peter Fatty and starting out with pitch recognition there. And it's really just expanded from, from that, what, second year at Southeast Missouri State. And um, it, it was something that I was able to help players with. And in turn, that that became more intriguing to me. So I think like anything, people like doing things that they're good at. And so I felt like I was becoming good at teaching pitch recognition and plate discipline. Mm -hmm. And so I've just, I've run with it throughout the rest of my career. Now, if you're going to leave us with just a practical way to do that in a team setting, and, and I, I think that most of our listeners are like, Dylan, you got to give us, you know, give us one thing or give us one drill or, or one, you know, station that we can put in our practices tomorrow that's going to help us with our decision-making. Can you leave us with something? The, uh, the ABCA Barnstormers event that I did at Mizzou, I think the main takeaway was random batting practice. Um, it's something that's been talked about a lot. The issue is, is that someone's got to throw breaking balls in batting practice or throw a changeup in batting practice and I think I've developed enough scar tissue in my elbow to it's, it's difficult. Mm -hmm. it, it's not uh, as easy as just throwing the, a nice BP fastball in there and you're going to have some days where you're sore and it's going to, there's going to be more effort with it, but random batting practice, you're already. So a lot of the, the things that I've tried to do with developing a, a system for this kind of training is take guys normal routines so they're already hitting back batting practice so how can we allow them to continue to, to hit batting practice we wouldn't want to take that away from them but what can we add into that to uh, make it uh, more challenging from a pitch recognition or play discipline standpoint so every every day there, there is um, some sort of high speed decision making quality to the the BP that uh my teams are doing. Mm -hmm. And so that to me is a non-negotiable type of uh, and if if it were me just me as the coach that's always going to be the deal. There's always going to be some sort of decision making piece when it comes to batting practice. I, I want to do everything I can to keep guys off of cruise control autopilot just taking swings that take swings and, and really not being engaged. And so the random BP is the easiest way to do it. Now, if you can't throw breaking balls, you know, I think the, maybe the video work, the video, the pitch recognition video training, which there's definitely products out there now that can, can sell you ready-made videos. I think that that's a good, a good way to go about it. But if you need more, obviously you can you can go check out the the first time that I did talk about it was at the ABCA Orlando convention and I uh, was on stage with Dr. Peter Fatty and we kind of went into uh, I guess more detail described some different drills. It's going to be things that a lot of you know you coaches out there are already doing with just a little twist. So it shouldn't be too terrible to go already just go ahead and make that tweak allow your guys to continue doing with the, the normal stuff that they're, they're very used to doing anyways. 
No, I love that. And and I love that, you know, I, I used to, and I still think that vision is extremely important, but just being able to make a decision on when to shut it down. And, you know, I, I think that most of our listeners have heard the yes, 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 and yes, yes, no mentality. And, and I can't, I just, I want to reiterate how important that is, is they're not deciding to swing, they're deciding not to swing. And, uh, I mean, that's just my personal opinion. I don't, I, do you? No, you're, okay. you're 100% correct. And, and so this is one of the issues when we first started doing this, I think we developed uh, a more passive team. So a team that drew more walks. And then when we kind of really looked at how we talked about it, it, it there was a lot of, oh, good take. It was, it was constantly celebrating the, the non-chase. Just don't expand the zone, you know, uh, as opposed to, hey, we're looking for this pitch. I'm ready to do damage on this mistake. Every time I step in the box, I want to be ready. I'm, I'm expecting to swing. I expect to get my mistake every time I step in the box. And if it isn't there, then I take it. And, and the walks become a byproduct of just not getting your pitch to hit. Mm. And so I think by year three at Southeast, we, you know, we were, we had a 343 on base percentage with two strikes. And of the hits that we were getting with two strikes, there is almost 35% of those hits were going for extra bases. So we were in a very vulnerable position, but we were still able to to really do damage on mistakes. And if they didn't throw us a strike, it, you know, they, then we were going to draw a walk. So it, as you're, I think you hit the nail on the head when you say that it is a yes, 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 no. It's the same thing, you know, that my little league coach taught me. So mm-hmm. not trying to change the game in that sense. But when you get, uh, when you make this a priority, I think a lot of times guys are waiting for the pitch to come out of the hand to figure out if that's a fastball or a curveball or if it is a ball or a strike. And so they, they end up having this slight hesitation. They have less conviction. You end up getting more foul balls or getting guys locked up, uh, taking good pitches to hit. And you, you've got to be careful with the way that you're wording things because uh, you don't want to produce timid hitters. You want to produce confident and aggressive hitters that are that are seeking to do damage and the drills that you're creating the competitions that you're creating the language that you use is really really important when you're doing this no i love that and i love that that's such a staple for you guys all the way down through little league and so something that you know another thing that we've heard for forever and that's we want to hunt the fastball right and we're constantly singing, seeing swings at the high school level that guys are late. It's two oh three one, and we're fouling balls off over the, the first base dugout, and it drives me absolutely crazy. And so what do you have for, you know, hunting the fastball and just being able to catch up to velocity? Is it we need to get on we need to use the machines and see it more often. We need to, you know, go away from the traditional forty mile an hour BP. And, you know, both of those, none of those, something different. What have you got regarding that? I think any time where you can practice velocity, and I think velocity is all relative, you know, the, the velocity that we're seeing in professional baseball is, you know, it's probably going to start at 95. Right. Uh, at the high school level, you're probably not starting there. Whether it's 85 or 90, trying to practice at that level as much as possible. I think a lot of issues in the hitting world have come from BP being too easy, the machine being too easy, hitting off of a tee where you're 
you're, you have no, there's no time constraint. So you can fill as much time as you want with as much garbage as you can find. And then now when you get, you know, you get velocity and you're facing somebody that's challenging you in that respect, you still got us garbage and you no longer have the time to, to get through it all. And so the velocity, it forces you to become more efficient and, uh, you know, Ochar and, you know, Anthony Brady out there. And I'm sure there's other guys that are involved out at driveline that were on the project with the EEG machine and the, the high, the, the high velocity fastball machine and getting prepped for games. And, you know, it's a really interesting study that they've done out there. And it's really cool to see the effects that certain drills have on us, not just from a physical standpoint, but from a, a neurological standpoint. And the guys, you know, it's just, Players need to be challenged. You know, baseball is there's enough failure in there, so you've got to have some feel good portions built in, and you you need to be uh, in tune with what your players really need. But most of the time, what they really need is to be challenged more, and so velocity is an easy way to do that. You know, the more that I'm getting into constraint training, and just like you mentioned, Twitter has been just a, a tremendous resource for most of the coaches listening, and and for the podcast, and for myself included, and, you know, the more you see about constraints, and I, I think Jason Ochart said this the other day, they asked him, you know, what his favorite constraint was, and he said, anything regarding time, and so that, does that kind of fit right into what you're, what you're speaking on? Absolutely, I, I don't know that I would have put it so elegantly, but, and maybe I'll steal that from him, but <laughs> I totally agree with that, and it's, um, it's something that I think is often forgotten. Definitely. Now let's actually get into a little bit of the swing and you're, you know, you're coming from an interesting perspective because most of the time you guys are in season. Like there's no, there's no off season or not much of an off season like we get with where we're in a team setting and we get to see our guys every single day. So talk to us about, you know, some of the things that you're looking for in a swing and, you know, are you guys trying to develop the swing in season? And is, you know, for me, I'm, I'm thinking of just competition and going and competing against the pitcher, is it possible to try and fix things during the season? If you can't do that at the professional level, then you can't participate in professional baseball. Now, it's one of the toughest things that the the new uh, guys have to get used to. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's it, it, to be able to train on the same day that they're going to compete. It's a really tricky thing. And so, again, as a coach, you know, I've got to be careful about uh, when to push them during the day and, and when to maybe pull back and make sure that they're feeling good and confident. And, but, but by no means would I sacrifice development for the single game being played at, you know, 637, whatever time it's going to be that night. I would never sacrifice development or, you know, for that game. It's just not as important. You, you got to keep the big picture in mind. And these guys want to play in the big leagues. And it's my job that, to do everything I possibly can to help them become a big league hitter. And so we can't take any day for granted. You, you've got to keep, you know, the, the pedal down and keep pushing. And it was something that we even did at Mizzou when we were, you know, first year there. And granted, I wasn't there for that, for that long. But even at Southeast, when, when I was a part of staffs that were trying to turn programs around, even in season, like it wasn't a game day BP. It, it was just if we had random BP scheduled for that day or if we had, you know, zone hitting and something or another with fastballs only, 
whatever it was, we were doing it even if there was a game being played just because, you know, even in college, I think it's crazy to, to say, okay, the season starts, let's, let's go through just our pregame prep routine. You know, I'm not looking to peak in game one. I'm ready. I want to be peaking at the end of the year. And honestly, I think if you go about it the right way, the championship is a byproduct of, of you doing things correctly. And, and I cannot buy into that development and winning are separate. I, I, I've witnessed them being one and the same. And so if you can create this healthy environment where mistakes are uh, allowed and, and they can experiment with some things and you can, you know, you can push the envelope and they know it's okay. Then it's not that tough to go from training to competing in a very short time. But I guess with that being said, it is a challenge and it is something that guys have to get used to, but you know, it's something that it's a necessity. If they, like a Justin Verlander and the Jose Altuve, they, they don't think that they've got it. You know, it's not like they're going to be in a bullpen or NBP and go, oh, got it. I'm good for the Like, no, they, they've raised the bar so high for themselves. They'll never feel that they've got it. So if they feel that way, then how, you know, right now in, in A-ball or in college baseball, I think it's a crime to let your players get away with that kind of mentality. Definitely. When, you know, success leaves clues and when the best in the world are doing something. And, and I feel like that with most of the coaches that I interview, I interview some of the best coaches in the world and, and they're always looking for something else different, or they're constantly looking for something better or a more efficient way to do it. And they, they've never thought they've arrived. And, you know, I thought that, that I was pretty good at, at 21 and I've progressively gotten worse since then. I feel like the more that I've learned, but you know, it's that I absolutely love that. And, and I love you being able to share that story. So I'm going to share that with my kids as soon as I see them tomorrow about Justin Verlander and Jose Altuve, not thinking that they've arrived, even though they are two of the best in the world. And, and Verlander has been doing it for yeah. what, 20 years, almost 15 years. It's crazy. I mean, they're, they're hall of famers. It's, it's, it's incredible that anybody, but it, that is a quality that allows them to be not just another player, but, but a hall of fame player. And, you know, it's, it's not like that, that quality alone is going to get you there. They're clearly very talented, but those guys work and they work really hard and they're never satisfied. And, and they take, they take coaching and they're, they, I mean, they're, they're, they're exactly what you would want. They, they go about their business in, in the way, the way that a coach would, you know, draw it up if he could do it perfectly. Definitely. And let's go back to the, what are some important things that you look for? And, you know, yes. I, you, you get to see some of your guys all year, but I'm guessing that, you know, with the different guys that arrive at different parts of the year and you're constantly having to review, you know, and constantly having to communicate with the different levels, but you know, what are some things that, that are true and near and dear to you guys that you are looking for as soon as some, somebody arrives? Like what, what, what are some of the most, most important things that you guys are looking for? First of all, we had 109 transactions this, this year in, uh, in low A. So right. Not all of those were hitters, but it's 109. I mean, it's, it's amazing. The turnover one way or another, 
just starting with one team and all-star break would hit and you'd have a completely different team and you'd end the year with a completely different team. It was, it was insane. We, I mean, so that presented a lot of challenges for me and there's things that, you know, I did this year that I would, I won't do next year. I feel like there's better ways that I can go about it. But as getting back to the question, not getting down a, you know, another tangent for me, like looking for hitters, you know, when I was out recruiting, uh, with Lance Rhodes and, uh, at Southeast and at Missouri, we, we would try to come up with all these evaluation forms and, uh, it always just came back to, do you want to coach that guy? And so there's a lot of reasons why I might want to coach someone. It could just be, you know, the way that they're getting on and off the field. It could be the, you know, the fact that they can hit a lot of home runs or they play great defense or there's a lot of different reasons. That was always the first thing that we would try to answer. It's just, is there something exciting uh, enough about this player that you want to spend that much time with them? Like, right. As a coach, we're spending a lot of time with, with players. I have no interest in spending time with players uh, that, that just aren't pleasant to be around. Sure. And so, you know, maybe that's something that doesn't get talked about all that often, but I'm much more, you know, it's, it's, it's easier to coach people that you like and people that are, that are easy to deal with. And, you know, uh, it's not always that easy, but, right. and you've got to have, you know, some, some tools in your toolkit to, to navigate, navigate the other situations. But mm-hmm. if I get to pick the players, like I, like I was able to in college, I'm definitely doing that. And I'm looking for someone who stands in the box is ready to swing at every pitch. That does not mean that they swing at every pitch. I want somebody that can control the zone, but has that presence that, you know, they're trying to do damage or they're looking to do damage. They expect the mistake pitch to be the very next pitch every time that they step in that box. And, you know, from a, I guess just, from a mechanical standpoint, I want somebody that can load well, that can unload well. You know, we're talking about the way that they rotate, how they use their hips. Uh, someone that that can make consistent quality contact. They can drive balls on a line into the outfield, and if it happens to go over the fence, then that's outstanding. There's obviously there's a lot of different ways we could take the conversation from here, but that's what we're looking for in a hitter. Uh, whether it's at the college level, I, I, in it would be the same thing if I was doing travel ball or uh, high school. It's what we're doing. If you're looking here and professionally, and and from a training standpoint, I think it's the, the number one thing for the swing itself is you've got to establish a good loading pattern. You know, I think if there, there's been plenty of research done. Um, where we're basically just the best hitters. They load the same way every time and they're able to uh, load inside and behind the ball with a simple move um, that sets them up in a good launch position, ready to attack a baseball. And then, you know, depending on the pitch's location or the pitch type, things will eventually change in that swing, but there needs to be a good portion of that swing that is the same every time. And, you know, so if that's the case and, and we know this, you know, it just, it, the things that we can control are mostly pre-pitch early ball flight type stuff that we're doing with our swing, which is, you know, obviously the load. Well, that's fantastic. You know, the, the more that I interview people, the more that I hear the, the use of assessments that come up and, you know, you and I were both talking about some TPI stuff before we started hitting record, but 
Is there a, a practical way that you guys use assessments to fix some of the different swing flaws that you guys feel are necessary? It's, it's a tough question just because there's nothing necessarily formal and there's, uh, there's always some sort of assessment going on. Right. I mean, even, even as a coach, every, I feel like everything I do is, is an assessment and in, in seeing how they move, you know, are they recognizing pitches? How are they swinging the bat? You know, are they able to load their hips or are they limited by range of motion strength? Do they not have a, a good movement pattern? You know, I'm assessing whether or not the drill works. Is it getting, is it getting the desired uh, results out of, out of that drill? I'm assessing the levels of motivation and, and engagement. I'm always assessing something. When you talk about the TPI, it's a tool in the kit. It was pretty cool this, this year. I was able to uh, become certified uh, an MWOD uh, mobility specialist. One of the things out of Kelly Sturette's gym in San Francisco Cross, CrossFit. And, you know, it's just another tool in the kit there. Something that we can bring out based on somebody's individual needs. But yeah, I mean, you need to be strong. Uh, you need to be, you know, have, have stable moves. And um, if we don't, if you can't move f- through a full range of motion, then there's plenty of stuff that we got to do. Luckily, you know, TPI provides a lot of free information online. Like that, It's such an easy place to start. Just, I mean, golf and some of the, the normal swing falls that, that occur in golf, you read the content and you, it's very easy to go ahead and switch that over into baseball terms, into put it into a baseball world and, and be able to implement it or apply it immediately. I love it. Now, you know, one thing that I wanted to uh, speak with you about, and that's, you know, we hear this, this term a lot is that teams strike out too much and they're sacrificing launch angle swings for power. Now, you know, just doing a little bit of research, you guys are one of the top five uh, teams in the major leagues in total runs, but you're also the second hardest team to strike out. Now, is that something that you guys feel that you can teach, or is that something that you feel like you guys are looking for guys that don't strike out that, that you can teach power to, or vice versa, or just, you know, me being a high school coach, I'm like, man, you know, there are, people say that strikeouts aren't the worst thing, but they're, you know, if we're striking out 10 to 15 times a game, that's pretty bad, you know, because there is a chance of us getting on and not that we should sacrifice hitting, you know, hitting home runs and doubles for just the ability to not strike out. But do you feel like that's something that you guys are teaching, can teach? And, you know, it, it, I feel like it may go along with some of the decision training stuff that you're talking about earlier as well. You know, baseball and this is something I told you before we started too, but baseball's archaic. We just happen to be less archaic than others. And we're, you know, I think we're very determined to change a lot of baseball tradition and we're frequently asking questions. We don't, I don't know that we have more answers than other people, but I think we ask, we may ask better questions. And so digging deep into some of these things and, and just trying to search and play around and figure out what works. Obviously my, my passion is with the swing decisions. Uh, it's hard enough to hit strikes. I don't see any reason why you would ever purposefully expand the zone to protect with two strikes. I, I don't mm-hmm. care that the umpire sucks. It's it's not your fault that he sucks. Sure. Don't make your job any harder. Right. And 
you know, there's, like I said, we, we do that every day in BP. There's, there's some sort of format. They know that they know that swing decisions are important. And, you know, even if, if what we're doing isn't, isn't great, the placebo effect works mm-hmm. and you, you highlight things and you make, you make something important, then it's going to get better or it's going to grow. We teach line drives and home runs happen to be byproducts of, of that and quality contact and make the pitcher throw you strikes and put the pressure on him. You know, he's got a debate on whether to throw you a strike that he, he's pretty sure you're going to be able to drive or throw you a ball that he's pretty sure you're not going to take. Mm-hmm. You know, you do that one through nine, that's a lot of pressure on a pitcher. And Absolutely. it's um, at some point, they're just going to make a mistake. And if you're ready to, to jump on that mistake, then you're going to be pretty successful and, and more times than not, you'll win that game. In closing, this is my favorite question that I always ask every single coach, no matter what setting they're in, because in the end, we do our jobs because we want to make our players better. So what's something that you guys do that your players love that they just they can't get enough of? Compete. I think that one of the best BP formats that we have, something that guys were asking to do was, you know, you have a BP group of maybe four guys and you split them to like two on two. And so they're battling to do the most damage. Um, you know, maybe you, you, you can do all kinds of different point systems, whether it's based on how hard the, the ball comes off the bat or if it's, you know, using judgment for doubles, home runs, singles, hard hit balls, and you create different point systems, but you can kind of get everything encompassed in one, you know, you just say, Hey, you, you get five strikes, you know, you can take a strike, but now you're down to four and we're going to, you know, every, even if it's a hard hit ball, right at the outfielder, it's BP, you get a point. If it gets in the gap or over an outfitter's head, you get two over the fence. It's four. Okay. Let's see. Let's see what group can do the most damage with their BP time. And, um, you know, then if you, you can do that with fastballs only, you can do that with, fastball, breaking ball, change up, any combination of those. And now you're getting pitch recognition. You're getting plate discipline. You're training the swing. You're, you're training intent. You're, you're getting guys to compete. It's one of my favorite things that we do, and the players love it. So essentially what you're saying is that, throughout, that whether they're Little League or whether they're Pro Ball, they like to compete and they like to play games and they have fun doing it. The, yeah, absolutely. It's just <laughs> like every time awesome. you're in the cage and you're picking up baseballs, they're going to shoot the ball <laughs> into the basket. And it's just a matter of whether or not they're going to yell out Jordan, Kobe, LeBron, or Steph Curry. You know, oh like gosh. It, it, these are things, they're staples of baseball. <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. Well, Dylan, I am so thankful to, to have had you on the show. And I think you that our guests are, you know, walking away with a ton of useful information. But if they would like to get in contact with you, what would be the easiest way to do so? The easiest way is Twitter. That's that's what I'm I'm on most frequently. Okay. And I believe direct messages are open so people can feel free to contact. Awesome. Now, you know, you've got an open mic. Is there anything else that you'd like to tell our listeners or is there anything else you'd like to discuss before you go? I think that what you're doing is amazing. As as coaches, it, it's hard to. Uh, there's so much information out there; it's hard to figure out what's good and what's bad, and what might work for you, and maybe is is just good for somebody else. So, 
being able to give guys and coaches more options, more information, and allowing them to better their program, better their players, better themselves, it's just a really powerful thing. And, and I just I thank you for what you do and, you know, what other organizations and podcasts are doing as well. It's, it's something that, man, it's taken off since I started coaching, you know, over a decade ago. And, you know, it's, I'm filling up notebooks quickly with, with, you know, all the information I'm getting from you guys. Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. Before you go, I'd love to be able to get in touch with you, and we have several different ways of doing so. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at AOTC underscore podcast. You can join the AOTC Coaches Facebook group. And if you want to be a part of the mini clinic emails, both of those links are listed below. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a rating or review to help others find and stay ahead of the curve.